You're listening to The Growing Season, a podcast from Arkansas PBS. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to like, share, and subscribe. October is the fallen leaf, but it is also a wider horizon more clearly seen. It is the distant hills once more in sight and the enduring constellations above them once again. American naturalist Hal Borland wrote those words of the changing seasons on his Connecticut farm. Whether in the rolling hills of New England or the Arkansas Ozarks, the crispness of October brings new perspectives on the closing season. For most of the year, farmers are mostly myopic on harvests and profits, gains to be made. Walking rows and feeding livestock becomes a daily repetition, a grind to that October finish line. It is only then, amidst the falling leaves, do you get the chance to look back on the year and consider the costs. This month, our farmers look back not only on the 2022 growing season and the tumultuous year it has been, but also on the costs of their very way of life. Farming is a hard road to hoe, and so the numbers are dwindling. In the best of scenarios, farmers find a new outlet for their expertise, like Larry Galligan going to work for the University Agriculture Extension Office. But countless other farms have shuttered across the state, families selling out, or worse yet, giving up. In the last decade, Suicide rates have skyrocketed among farmers, and Arkansas isn't immune. So we'll also speak with Ilea Markham, the services program manager at the Arkansas Crisis Center, to find out how to recognize and mediate signs of suicidal thoughts in ourselves and our loved ones. So settle in, good people. It's time we set the ledger straight on the growing season. Darren Davis is a planner whether it is the contingencies of broken equipment or a two-week weather forecast, Darren's mind is always working on what troubles might be waiting around the next row. As the rains have returned to Phillips County, Darren's harvest has been mostly successful. But that doesn't keep his mind from working and living in that old adage, in times of peace, prepare for war. Journalist Antoinette Grajeda has the story. Darren Davis wades through cotton plants in his signature red ball cap and work clothes. Harvest is looking good, but the farmer knows to prepare for hard times during good times. He's always said farming's in his blood, but if he had to give it up, he'd find a way to support his family. Farming is, is no doubt the first, but uh, I have a few more things going on that, God forbid, if I went out of farming, I, I wouldn't starve. Uh, yeah, I can... I'll be able to survive. Darren's paid for his home, owns a convenience store, and has invested in stocks. Making contingency plans can be a lot to think about, but it's necessary. In this business, you better think about it. Yeah, you better think about it, because any one of us could be gone at any given year. So uh, it's just the nature of the beast. It's part of the business. Darren knows several people who've had to sell their farms. Unfortunate as it is, he says it's likely someone within a 50-mile radius will go out every year for a variety of reasons. Some probably could have stayed, Darren says, but the challenges were too great and they'd had enough. That goes back to that. It has to be in your blood. It just, it just has to be. I don't know any other way to say it because it can be really very challenging to, to be a row crop farmer. Uh, 
it, it comes with many challenges. So you either have to be up for it <laughs> or you're not. So yes, I know some people that has filed bankruptcy. I know some people that has just quit and said you can have it. You know, I know all sorts of people in that situation. Success in farming ebbs and flows. Every farmer, including Darren, has successful seasons and challenging ones. We've had some, a couple, few se- a few seasons in there over 32 years. We, we've had a few seasons in there that, that weren't very profitable, that we had, that we lost money. Uh, when I say lost money, uh, 80, 90,000 maybe. And uh, you lose it and you, you go to the government or whatever for whatever programs they have available. Sometimes you can recover some of it. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you have to make a deal with your loan, your lender, and say, hey, can you give me X number of years to pay this back? And most good lenders, they'll work with you. They'll, they'll give you time to, to pay it back. So that's, I don't know of any farmer that hadn't had at least one disastrous year. The stresses of farming can be a lot to deal with. A few years ago, Darren was devastated when he lost a close friend to suicide. His name is stitched onto that red ball cap Darren wears to the fields almost every day. A constant reminder to never give up and just what's on the line. Anytime we lose anybody, it's a big deal with the community and and it takes a while to get over. Uh, I can't say that I'm still over the death of my friend, but you know, you have to move on. But I think about him all the time, stuff he says, stuff he does or did. And uh, so I don't know, it takes a while. It takes a while to get over it. The farmers of Lakeview are a tight-knit group who support each other by sharing equipment and advice or by lending an ear. Most of Darren's friends grew up farming in Lakeview. That kind of lifetime experience has left them better mentally prepared for the lifestyle than the generation before. So it it wasn't the, the suicide issues, but I've heard a lot of people think about suicide, said, hey, it did cross my mind. And, you know, we would talk about it and talk it out and say, well, you know, that's not an option and blah, 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 blah. So if I can help you in any kind of way. So, you know, I've had to help people. I've had to let people use tractors because they uh, didn't have one or lost theirs or whatever the case may have been. Uh, Hey, borrow mine, do what you got to do and bring it back when you get through and whatever you can to help them and to help them get through a challenging time, I'm willing, I'm willing to do it. Darren often talks with local farmers, keeping up with each other through thick and thin. They're able to bounce ideas off each other. Soon they'll gather for an end of year meeting to reflect on the season and start making plans for the next. As a mayor and elder of Lakeview, Darren's planning nature is one of the things that keeps his community held together. When we find Darren in November, he'll be working through the holiday and giving thanks nonetheless. In tight-knit farming communities across the country, neighbors share that unspoken responsibility for each other's well-being. Just like Darren and his Lakeview neighbors, many communities have seen firsthand the tragedy that can strike when a farmer feels truly isolated. For larger operations like Heifer Ranch in Perryville, the responsibility that Donna Kilpatrick feels toward the farmers and the land around her is all a part of the job. Everyone's well-being is a constant concern. The Yarns, Umaya Jones has the story. 
We meet up with Donna back from a trip to the Severy Institute at West Bijou Ranch in Colorado. She doesn't love what she sees. So we're in a full-fledged drought again, uh, which is really frustrating. We're actually uh, feeding out some hay right now and trying to get animals to places where there's forage. Uh, the problem is, is that there's nothing growing. So, I mean, I one, you know, if you want to see how your grass is growing, look in your yard. When do you have to cut it? I haven't had to cut my grass in three weeks, so there's nothing growing. It's a little bit perplexing, and uh, you know, you plan for what you're the hay you're going to buy. We bought over the amount, knowing we we're into a drought, and knowing hay prices might skyrocket. So I feel okay, but only for a little bit. I mean, we do not want to be full-fledged feeding hay, which we're not. We're supplementing uh, in October. That means it's going to be pretty scarce pickings in January. Yeah. if we keep at this rate. At the Savory Institute, Donna spent a week with farmers from all over the world participating in a holistic management intensive, and she is putting her skills to work. This is a moment in time where we have a problem. So instead of looking for the quick fix, let's think, I mean, something as simple as, instead of sitting the round bales out for the cows, we're gonna roll them because we know that we want biomass covering our soil. We want to lower our soil temperatures. And so right now that's the most critical thing we can do. So we brought the hay roller over and we're gonna start rolling out the hay that we're feeding, um, just sort of to give the soil a boost. And for the first time in the eight months we've been speaking with Donna, something is keeping her up at night. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I just told, I told, uh, um, I told Lizzie this morning, I actually woke up in the middle of the night last night and I, I mean, I, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night really concerned about the forage availability and also what our pastures look like right now. Just with so much, I mean, I made the decision not to clip the pastures this year because of the drought and because I wanted to keep biomass on the soil surface to keep it from getting hotter. Um, and that decision, I think, is was the right decision, but aesthetically, you know, things look really rough. And I woke up sort of thinking about that. Um, just the fact that we've got a lot of weeds um, and it just looks a little ragged. Um, and I always think of, you know, I've got, I've got farmer friends who talk about rewilding. So their goal being to rewild. Uh, and just sort of leaning more towards that and knowing that it's okay that it looks like this right now. I think the problem is, is that we're a large nonprofit. We're getting ready to have a big board meeting. We're trying to get the, the ranch looking great. So we're also in sheep breeding season. So we've got groups of sheep all over the, the, the front of the ranch, which is holding off those pastures, being able to be clipped for the board meeting. But just take a breath. It's all going to get done. It's all going to be fine. Um, just wanting it to. And I think it's hard when you when you see, you know, like the maintenance team is getting everything looking so snappy. The buildings look great. And the thing that you're responsible for still looks pretty ragged. Um, and so that's a stress that I need to just take a breath and be like, you know what, it's gonna be okay. We're gonna get this looking fantastic, um, but we're doing this for a reason. And that goes back to those decision making, you know, context checks. Like, why are we doing this? Our ultimate goal is to build our ecosystem. And this is the decision that will help us get there right now. And it's gonna be okay. Donna is constantly trying to improve 
Finding new or perhaps old ways to interact with the soil, she continually expresses gratitude for the journey. I would say, you know, when I was out at the Savory Ranch, West Bijou, uh, a group of us would go out in the morning for the sunrise with the bison. Mm -hmm. And I was really so happy that they allowed us to do that because bison are, you know, they're, pra they're, they're partially wild animals and there's a safety factor there, but I, I'm glad they trusted us knowing that we'd keep our distance and just go enjoy them. And I was just really thankful that we were given that opportunity because it was one of the most beautiful things, if not the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and, and those conversations with with other farmers and hub leaders and accredited professionals from Savory that happened on that vast landscape with bison as the sunrise was rising was very different than anything else in the class, which was also very intimate and challenging and thought provoking, but just it was very it was it was a different experience. And although I will remember all the learnings we had in the classroom, I'll never forget that. You know, that just like really stamped in my brain and in my heart of being with those bison, with those people as the sun was rising. Donna Kilpatrick has a gift for enjoying the remarkable natural beauty around her. She'll be reveling at the ranch in November as she gives thanks for her position there. Donna's experiences among the bison and the farmers at the Savory Institute were certainly picturesque. But more than that, what resounds with her most is the discovery of a surprising community. Stress, whether in farming or any other walk of life, is much easier to carry when shared with someone. Donna might have visited the Savory Institute to sharpen her agriculture prowess, but what she found was communion. Sharing the highs and lows of life is one of the most powerful weapons we have against isolation, depression, and suicidal thoughts. Community is key to survival. No one knows this better than Grace and Ruthie Pepler at Dogwood Hills. Journalist Jordan Hickey has the story. An immense picture window in the kitchen at Dogwood Hills frames the farm's goings-on through the seasons. Ducks splashing in a float tank, dogwoods, hickories, elms, and oak donning their autumn colors, and no shortage of reminders of the great deal of work yet to do, Ruthie says. Namely, cows hopefully going to calve any day now, and the continued project of controlling water runoff. But for this moment, she watches the road. At two o'clock, a white sedan makes its way down the driveway. This is the potluck she's talked so much about these past few months. The community the Peplers have worked so hard to build. Yeah, three people here. Six of us right now, I think. Six Right. Yep. And then there's another three coming on their way. They had car trouble. Yep. And Dad's going to go up. Yep. He got a little nap in. So that's gets 10, which is what she said was going to be about, right? Because we didn't have Paul and Teresa, which would have been 12, and we didn't have Lauren Miles, which would have been 14, and Luke's family would have been 22. So anywhere between 6 and 22. How's that sound? <laughs> And it, like I said, it all works out. Everybody brings something and I don't worry about it. I make some basics to kind of fill in all the gaps. We got meat, rice, and biscuits, you know, hey, and dessert. I've always got dessert. Yeah. And I can always have dessert ready if necessary. So, Even though it's right. a lot of work to host this event on top of everything else going on at the farm, community lies at the heart of what they do. 
particularly among people who don't have deep roots in the area. Well, well yeah, I have, I have folks your age, you know, oh, no. saying I, I ain't I around here because I didn't grow up exactly. here. <laughs> like until you have grandkids in here, you're not actually from here. Although I'm, I've, got, I've got a, uh -huh. a third generation here now, oh, so, yeah. so I'm starting to get there. So are, are you from here? I'm from Indiana. <laughs> the fruits just attracts people who are from here. So what does a potluck at the Peplers look like? It's got its own little heartbeat. <laughs> you set for everybody. I did. Mm -hmm. Okay, I guess I don't even need these two. Okay. I was like, I'm like, hold up. I'm like, there's too many empty chairs. What's going on here? <laughs> I can't get on. Have a Lauren Miles doing? Good. Good. Lauren just wasn't right? feeling good today. Mm -hmm. And Paul, hold on. Um, Paul was uh, helping Teresa with the turkey trot yesterday. Turkey trot, so he's behind on his farming, so that's what he's doing today. It's anywhere between six and 22 people. People who've been here a few years and people who've been here 40. There's cowboy chili, sliced tomatoes, cabbage and kielbasa, a spinach artichoke dip made with daikon radishes, along with everything that Ruthie has made. The deer neck that she's been roasting for four hours, the buttermilk spoon biscuits, the pumpkin cheesecake. At the table, sometimes it's just idle chit chat about barking dogs or poachers, seeds or peaches. At one point, there's a question about a cow, or about cows, that comes from Sherry and Blake, mother and son, who've only been in the area for a few years between them. So I have a cow question. Yeah. So we had neighbors that, um, so we've got, you know, regular cows, but then there's the one oh, like longhorns. Yes. Texas longhorn? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, but, um, <laughs> which I think, doesn't doesn't necessarily designate gender, right? Mm -hmm. right. right. So, so all cows can be born either with or without horns based on the genetics of the father. father. Right. So it seems to me that this one is female, but I didn't, yeah. you know, look check the plumbing. But, <laughs> but she got loose. Oh boy. Oh, no. um, right. And so, um, but she had a different demeanor. It's like she knew she was armed. Oh yeah. Do they have yes. a different attitude? As Ruthie says. It's fairly typical. This is average. <laughs> it varies. <laughs> Cover yeah, all pretty much topics. everything gets talked about at the table. I think. I don't, I don't, when it comes to animals, I don't think we've had too many speed bumps, right? We just keep right on going. Yeah. <laughs> the dynamic around the table depends largely on who's there. People often bring their questions and troubles they're facing. And it's true that there's some of this. There's discussion about what it means to be new to the area and how to find your place without making too many waves. Well, the best advice I got when I got here, my hay guy, oh, yeah. said to me, he goes, oh, he tried to be all big and burly, you know, and make sure everybody's like, because everybody's afraid of me. I love him to death. He's a big teddy bear, but we can't say that. <laughs> but he said to me, people, he goes, you know, he goes, where are you from? And I said, New Jersey. He goes, oh. <laughs> he goes, don't, don't, don't try and change things here. I said, why would I want to do that? That's why I moved here from New Jersey. He goes, well, it is a good place to be from. <laughs> but regardless of what's discussed, through the meal it becomes apparent, being of a place, whether through generations of grandchildren or practice listening and sound advice, finding your belonging in a new home and a new way of life is key to surviving the trials it might throw your way. 
Grace and Ruthie know those trials firsthand and are eager to share their table with those just now coming back to the land. Making it as a farmer is daunting, especially for those coming from other careers or distant places to build a new life on a strange piece of land. The Peplers are there in Marshall, opening up their door and their table to the community around them in an effort to give farmers a place to come and rest and learn from the experience of their neighbors. Even if you don't find the answer to your specific problem, the simple act of sharing a meal will often help you face it renewed. Grace and Ruthie will welcome that community back to their annual cast iron cook-off in November. Without this community outlet, too many farmers often fall into isolation, not only geographically but emotionally, internalizing practical issues to the point that even the simplest of tasks can feel crippling. It is this kind of self-inflicted emotional isolation that wore on Larry Galligan while struggling to keep his farm running during the pandemic, wearing on him until stepping away seemed his best option. Journalist Antoinette Grajeda has the story. It's been an emotional year for Larry Galligan. Just a few months ago, Larry thought he was leaving farming behind. It was not a decision made lightly. After struggling with his West Fork farm all season, Larry had reached a breaking point. It's funny, it's like 2020 when COVID was going on, that was so weird. But like, I had a really good year that year. Like things were, were kind of working for me. And then 2021 just was, was hard. 2021 was really hard. Things just weren't working. It just seemed like I got off track and could never get back on. And that was really frustrating. And I think that's the closest I, that I could tell that I've ever been to like, just like depressed and pissed off and just, you know. And so, yeah, like, like April, May of 2020, or sorry, April, May of 2022 had been like a year of that. And so, and I was just kind of done, you know. And so it's like, well, I'm gonna apply for this job and, you know, see what happens. Larry got that job at a research and extension center, but it didn't immediately come with the emotional relief he was seeking. I was kind of upset because I felt like I was giving up on several things. And, you know, I don't like feeling like I gave up on something, but at the same time, you got to know when to, when to, if something's not working for you, you got to know when to stop. Farming can be a double-edged sword. While Larry has long had a passion for gardening, Relying on farming as a major source of income for his family put a lot of stress on him physically and mentally. I'm kind of bad about just sort of internalizing things and then just like, you know, until it just kind of like goes away. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of been how I deal with stuff. And every now and then I'll get kind of kind of cranky and, and uh, you know, and, I, and I'm pretty seasonal. Winter comes, I'm kind of crabby in the winter anyway. I don't like short days and I don't like cold, and so that doesn't help either. While he's used to internalizing things, Larry has learned it's okay to ask for help. I guess I just figure, well, if it gets bad enough, I'll do something about it. Uh, you know, whatever bad enough is. So not much of a talker? No, no, I guess not, you know. And, um... Yeah, and I got a couple of close friends, you know, when something's bothering me, I'll talk to. But, you know, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, I don't want to bother them with my problems, you know. Talking to someone, as well as the passage of time, can help a person process a new situation. As the months passed, Larry came to terms with the farm's changes. For me, it's always worked better as a side hustle than a full-time thing. And so, 
that's, that's when it worked best for some reason. So that's what I'm gonna do. For the first time in a while, Larry says he is feeling optimistic. He doesn't regret the choice of scaling back the scope of Riverside Specialty Farm. While the notion of full-time farming might be hard to let go, the choice was easy when placed against his health, happiness, and future. Only after scaling back his farming operation is Larry Galligan beginning to feel optimistic again. Larry is lucky. Lucky for his family's support, but also lucky to have found a way to move forward and slightly away from farming for the sake of his mental health. So many farmers find themselves in the same position as Larry every year, but for those born into and raised around the agriculture lifestyle, this simple act of stepping away or changing directions isn't as easy. Very quickly, the family farm begins feeling like that quicksand. Every move you make just pulls you deeper in. Rachel and John Michael Bearden have slogged through this sinking season, as drought and demand have put hay producers in an impossible spot, even in a town called Friendship. The yarn's Omaya Jones has the story. The summer rains have been brief in Arkansas, and the Beardens find themselves right back where they were. So we are nine weeks, I believe. It's been since July 19th, according to the USDA, that we've been in D2 level drought, okay. which is massive. So for producers here in Hot Spring County, Garland County and Grant County, I think are also included there. Uh, about two weeks ago, we hit the drought level that USDA and the FSA, the Farm Service Agency, are gonna step in on drought assistance for our local producers, which means we stayed at D2 level drought for at least eight weeks, which is huge. And all these farmers that were low on hay because of other things early in the year, well, then it stopped raining in August and we haven't had rain and everything's been dry. So they haven't got that last cutting of hay that a lot of people were banking on. And then now you even look at it, we had the talk today that our pastures that are dried up and crunchy now aren't gonna have the forage base. So when it does start raining, it's just gonna be a muddy, sloshy pit this winter to feed out of. And it just doesn't look good. We followed the Beardens as they've adjusted to what's come their way. But for the first time, they're struggling for ideas. With our grazing management practices of rotational grazing and everything and stockpiling grass, we shouldn't be feeding hay till the 1st of December. And now it's, there's nothing left. All of these management practices have saved us up until now, but either we set ourselves back probably three years by going ahead and just grazing those pastures to the ground we either graze them or we pull the cows and move them or sacrifice field where you're just feeding hay and trying to let everything else grow and not take it to bare dirt. There's so many avenues to go that none of them are the right way and none of them are necessarily the wrong way. You just got to make a decision and go for it. And so our goal and our plan is to um, our least place in our house place, we're going to move our cows. Uh, move them to the least, least place down in the bottom. We still have grass down there. The ground is wet enough that it has been able to grow and we're, we'll finish grazing it out. Then we're gonna take the calves and do all of our weaning and pull them to our house. We know we're gonna have to feed them grain anyways. We can feed them grain and hay at the house 
and use that sacrifice field and not do near as much damage with the calf base than the cows would do. There is help, but Rachel and John Michael aren't the only farmers trying to figure out the best way to get it. So we haven't heard any actual numbers yet uh, on players, what we'll see from it. When we sat through the meeting last week and talked to him about it a little bit, uh, I can tell you, it's all a balance of your acres versus your number of heads. So it's not like there's a straight number of, oh, you're going to get X amount of dollars for X amount of cows. Because when they figure it, they take into account your grazing management to make sure you're not overstocked. So they have a two animal unit per acre, or no, I'm sorry, one animal unit per two acres is their number. So if you're over that, they consider you to be overgrazing, which would hurt the amount of money you get. Well, that kind of starts to run into some red flags, and I kind of brought it up at the table as the county agent, is what about our people who have grazing management strategies? Like they're normally rotational grazing and they have electric fencing and all these practices that we preach to increase that stalking rate, they don't take into account any of that because it's all a computer formula. So that side of it's a little frustrating and that's why like for us particularly, we're having to do some finagling of some things around because of the way that we were classified on their paper. She gave us one example of a farm that had 80 acres, 30 adult cows and 15 calves. We're gonna see around $1,000. So, and if we move to the D3 level for one day, that'll trigger another round of higher payments than the D2 level that we had to stay at consecutively for eight weeks. Whereas like Saline County didn't make the cut this time because they got a rain that we didn't in these three counties. Optimism is hard to come by when the rain doesn't come with it. But no, I'm ready for this year to be over. Like, I'm, I'm to my point. We, uh, see the cutter broke, the gearbox went out on it. That took all of my extra cash to get it going. Um, now we're back to Valen and we basically had five days of downtime and hay's been going the, the, the wrong way. We're only making a bell, bell and half to the acre and it's just... Instead of four. I'm, I'm over it. It's not worth the diesel, it's not worth the time. It's, it's frustrating because these landowners and these people that you're belling for or you're selling to, you know, they understand it, but it's hard to plan when you just don't know. Um, a place that usually rolls two, 250 rolls, it's gonna roll 120, 130. And it's nothing that I did wrong. It's just, it's not there. It didn't grow. It didn't do its thing. And Farming's always a gamble. When you're relying on the weather and you're relying on all these things, we can manage as best we can, but some things are outside of our control. It is. Still, the Beardens are not out just always looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that you're setting yourself up for the spring to have record highs. Because nobody have cattle, they're gonna wanna buy back in, I think. We saw this in 2012 and 13, after that, that bad drought. Um, I think you're gonna see record highs again. I think that same cow that we could buy at a sale barn for $600, $700, She's gonna be worth 15, 1600. I think that good bred heifers, where typically they bring 11, $1,200 as bred heifers, will be worth two to 2,500. 
it's being in a position where you have the cash to go and sit on it, you know, go buy, put it back, and wait, because and, it's going to get good. And like right now, we're going to try everything we can to hang on to our cattle and hang on to our calf crop until that spring hits and cross our fingers. If there's a single sentiment to capture this year in Arkansas farming, that's it. Just hanging on. Rachel and John Michael have made the best of hard decisions all season, and to show for it, they are just hanging on through winter. Come November, they'll be traveling out of state with their 4-H kids, finding solace in community. Not even established family farms like the Bearden's have been immune to the onslaught of issues facing farmers this year. The Nortons and Harrison have dealt with these issues as well. Add health and injury worries to the pile and things really begin adding up. Journalist Jordan Hickey has the story. The Nortons have shared time and again. Life in the country means helping neighbors when you have the chance. When Will recently returned from a cattle hauling trip in South Arkansas to find he had torn his bicep, surgery was scheduled and the offers of neighborly assistance rolled in. A week later, Will sits in the kitchen, his arm in a sling, resting his hand on the marble counter as Rachel prepares to make dinner. In the two days since his procedure, he's managed to read all of social media, he says. To talk, Twitter, um, got several hours of westerns behind me. Will reviews a slip of paper that tells him what he's supposed to do, and more importantly, what he's not supposed to do. Things like push, pull, or lift with his right arm. He's supposed to wear a sling and use an ice pack and keep the arm dry with some help. Yeah, done nothing. <clears throat> Put a plastic bag on my arm when I took a shower this morning. I've managed not to kill him, if that counts for anything. I'll let her take a three hour nap. You slept in the bed all by yourself for two nights propped up. <laughs> You're in choice. Will Norton isn't someone who sits idle. Far from it. The farthest from it, in fact. So much so, 45 minutes before I arrived, he'd been helping his dad load cattle. Yeah, my dad brought some calves down. We're going to load, load his barn. He just run them off the trailer and we put them in the tub. Just, just got the hydraulic sheet and work it when needed. And uh, the gate, it's made where it doesn't come back on you, so you're safe there. So, set the gates up. And, uh, he was bringing them up there and he's running them up shoot. Of course, it's my writing arm that's messed up, so he was having to write the weights down. He'd also been riding in the feed truck yesterday. Pick your battles. Yeah. Today's a lot better. Yesterday, I was up a little too much. I went, rode in the feed truck, did some stuff, and my arm started swelling. Today it's not, seems to be a real problem. In fact, Will had been out sorting cattle just two days after the accident. Just a few hours after he'd been at the hospital talking with the doctors. And just a few hours before he'd gone back to the hospital for an MRI that evening. Did you tell the doctor that you were sorting cattle? He didn't ask. <laughs> Still, even though it's a new challenge to be a boss who stands outside the fray, rather than one who's deep in it, He's fortunate for several reasons. The first is that he's already got good help 
and he's able to pay them for what he can't do. Just the way everything works, we can shut the cattle coming off for this week. I'll probably start getting them again next week. But a lot of the stuff, I mean, he does a lot of that anyways. A lot of the stuff I do is one of the sales or staying out late, doing the weekend work, stuff like that. That's where the biggest change will come in. He'll get a lot more overtime, but it's like he had to come in this weekend, put a lot of time in. We'll probably just not do any extra projects for a while. He's always the boss, but he's the boss that's getting his hands dirty. And now he's just gonna go to the boss that stands there with like, I don't know, if he had an extra hand, eliminating his hand. So it's probably his roles are changing. He's the boss now. Big term. They come with a pay raise. Um, your head better not get big. The second is that, even before he wanted people to know what had happened, the neighbors were texting and asking what they could do to help. Financially, the Nortons say, they'll be fine. The wages Will's paying out he made off of cattle last year. And thanks to insurance, they're only on the hook for a fraction of the $12,000 hospital bill. But what about the less visible hurts farmers face? The ones we talked about last month. The guys who struggle with mental health after they're no longer able to work on the farm. Even in a sling at the kitchen counter, Will thinks about those guys who are on the verge of aging out. The old guard. The ones who don't know how to give it up. I don't know. It's a different breed. They're, they spend their whole life, no joke, trying to figure out how to make it work by themselves make it happen. They take pride in that. There's some of them that hang it up. There's some that hang on to the bitter end. I kind of have a soft spot for the ones that hang on to the bitter end myself, but there's nothing wrong with uh, saying I'm done either. It is what it is, and there's reason to have it. It'd be better one day. There's a friend of mine that mashed his fingers one cold night in the back of a cell barn, and he was a slobbering all over. The famous words was, it's going to feel so good when it quits hurting. Will Norton and his family have faced a lot this year. Like Darren Davis, Will can speak firsthand of the shockwaves a farmer's suicide can send through an Arkansas community. But now, after spending eight months with him, we still only get hints and warnings of the hopelessness some farmers have felt before, as Will puts it, hanging it up. Arkansas PBS producer Corey Womack sits down with Ilea Markham, the service program manager at the Arkansas Crisis Center, to discuss how the best method of addressing suicidal thoughts can be difficult, yet incredibly simple. Just talk about it. Today we're talking to uh, Aaliyah Markham of the Arkansas Crisis Center in uh, Rogers now. Yeah, so we were founded in 1985. Actually, it started out kind of like a phone a friend. It was a, a hotline for teens to call for help. Um, very quickly, they realized like this it needs to be for everyone. So it expanded to all age groups. Um, it started out just in Northwest Arkansas, but now we cover all 75 counties here in Arkansas. 
I was a little nervous, um, just the topic of suicide. I, I didn't know if maybe I had the experience, but I started out as a crisis call specialist answering the hotline. Um, and then I moved into this position as the crisis services program manager. Well, you say, uh, you know, starting off, you're nervous uh, about maybe not having the right experience for, you know, such a, a unique position. And, and I think with the topic of suicide, most people feel that way. You yeah. know, it's a very overwhelming topic. And so what are those things? What allows you, what are you looking for? What are the skills that help? Yeah, so you have to establish that confidence. We, If you would like to volunteer on our crisis line, it is a 32-hour training process before you can even take your first call. Um, that alone kind of helps with the confidence. Um, but even today, after answering the line for three years, there's still those moments where you, you, know, you kind of take that deep breath right before you answer because you don't know what you're gonna hear on the other end of the line. There's a lot of really, you know, stories that really kind of tug on the heartstrings and you have to be able to maintain, you know, that professionalism. You have to be able to support the caller and put, you know, your own emotions aside so that way you can truly support the person who needs the help. So often in these small communities, we hear, I was just so shocked. I was so surprised. Last time I talked to them, everything seemed okay. Yeah. What should we be looking out for? You know, what are those, maybe there are those little hidden signs that somebody may be struggling with suicidal thoughts. So as a community member or family member, what should I be on the watch for? Yeah, you know, you bring up a really a really good point about how people are surprised. They don't see these signs. And, you know, there's these phrases that I've seen on social media that say, check on your happy friends, check, you know, because you never know what they're hiding, what they're struggling behind doors with. Um, so I really do invite everyone to visit the 988lifeline.org. This is a website where anyone can go in. There will be a list of risk factors. There is going to be a list of signs that you can look for as well. There will also be additional resources. There's going to be an option to chat with someone. Um, you can also dial 988 if you are concerned about a loved one. Um, but some of those signs that you can look for, these can include talking about wanting to die, talking about suicide. You know, it might be direct, it might be a joke, um, but take it seriously. Um, don't assume that someone is making these saying these things as for attention, you know, so many times people are like, oh, you're just saying that for attention. But are they, you know, like we don't know, it needs to be, you know, investigated a little bit more, take it seriously. Um, maybe they're looking for a way to complete their suicide plan, you know, maybe trying to figure out how to buy a weapon or, you know, how many pills does it take? You know, they're researching how to complete that plan of suicide. Um, you might hear them talking about feeling hopeless or helpless. You know, maybe they're talking about being a burden on their loved ones. Or um, sometimes I've had it explained to me as feeling like they're trapped in like a glass box and they just can't break through. Um, Maybe the increased use of drugs and alcohol, maybe you're noticing some changes in that area. Um, sleep changes, maybe sleeping too much or not at all. Um, also withdrawing, isolating themselves from friends, you know, maybe no longer completing those daily tasks that they always enjoyed previously, um, and just extreme mood swings, you know, if that's not common for someone, you know, 
recognize it, acknowledge that. Right. So, I mean, I think more than anything is, is just that erratic change in behavior. Yeah. You know, they're going to seem like a different person, mm-hmm. probably. Yeah. If I'm worried about somebody, um, how do I kind of start that conversation? How do I go about kind of bringing this ugly topic out into the open? Yeah, I would say be direct. Mm-hmm. Ask the question. Are you thinking about suicide? Let them know the things that you're concerned about. So many people who do trainings with us, they're like, oh, I didn't know I could ask that. I thought if I asked, are you thinking about suicide, it would give them the idea. But that's not true. When you ask someone, are you thinking of suicide, what you're telling that person is, hey, I love you enough to ask this question. I'm worried about you. And I I want to help. I am somebody who you can have this conversation with um, non-judgmentally. Um, Oftentimes on the crisis line, when we ask this question, we can almost hear like a sigh of relief of like, you know, like you can just hear that exhale of relief when they can finally take this burden that they've been carrying by themselves and actually share it with somebody. If there's not anyone in your life that you feel comfortable with having the conversation with, dial 988. It is a national number. Anyone can call from anywhere. You can also text the number as well. Um, there will be someone on the other end of that line who will talk to you. They will help you locate resources that are in your area area, but definitely just listening to your body and reaching out for help. This growing season, we have seen farmers stand against the dismal tide of equipment failure, volatile markets, a struggling economy, extended drought, and countless other issues eroding their will to work and financial foundations. It isn't just the young farmers around the Pepler's potluck table or the small operations like Larry Galligan in West Fork. Lifetime, family operations like the Beardens and Friendship and Darren Davis and Lakeview know the hurdles of this growing season were unprecedented and are only getting higher. So when the debt gets too deep and the problems too many, that simple thought from Will Norton's friend creeps in. It's going to feel so good when it quits hurting. You are not alone. Money can be borrowed, favors asked. There's not a season that can't be weathered through support and community. There's only one thing an American farmer can't come back from, suicide. If you suspect someone close to you is struggling with thoughts of giving up, talk about it. Buy them a coffee, invite them over to dinner and talk about it. If you are struggling with these thoughts yourself, talk about it. Family, friends, a doctor, or a neighbor at the co-op. Say your thoughts and worries out loud. No burden is too small to be shared. Help is always available. Call or text 988 to speak with someone directly or visit 988lifeline.org. Next month, our farmers will give thanks for the little things that brought them through the year. We'll also sit down with counselor Wendy Blackwood from Healing Path Counseling in Conway, Arkansas, and talk about working through stress and anxiety and making a plan for moving forward. The growing season is funded through a Farm and Ranch Stress Assistance Network grant provided by the United States Department of Agriculture and administered by the Arkansas Department of Agriculture. This episode was written and directed by Corey Womack of Arkansas PBS. 
Our stories are covered by journalists Antoinette Grajeda and Jordan Hickey, as well as Hilary Trudell, Omaya Jones, and Andy Vaught of the Yarn Storytelling Initiative. Audio mastering was done by engineer Tracy Prince. This podcast is an Arkansas PBS production. I'm your host, Ben Dickey, and this has been The Growing Season. If you enjoyed these stories, please review our podcast and be sure to follow Arkansas PBS on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.